Happy Advent. Advent. If you're not familiar with that, it means coming. We are preparing our hearts for Christmas, the arrival of Jesus. So it's an exciting time, Advent. That's why we're taking a break from 1 Timothy right now. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to follow the birth story of Jesus Christ to prepare our hearts for Christmas. That's what we're doing. So welcome. Welcome to Redeemer Online. My name is John Norris. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you are here with us. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 through 38. And before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him to be one of us. We are preparing our hearts to celebrate one of the two greatest days in the history of the universe. The coming of God with us. Help us to see. Please give us eyes to see. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit now? We cannot go forward without you. Would you help us to worship over what we see about your Son? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. And before we get to an outline of where we're going in this sermon, let's look at what's happening here. An angel, Gabriel, has been sent from the presence of God to Mary, a girl in the city of Nazareth, now, we know that she's engaged 
The text says she's betrothed to become the wife of Joseph, who's of the family of David. That's important. He's of the family of David. Now, Mary is greatly troubled by the angel's greeting, verse 29 tells us. And the angel, Gabriel, he tries to comfort her in verse 30 by telling her not to be afraid. Now, we know Zechariah, he's earlier in this chapter, he sees the same angel, Gabriel, and it says that he's terrified. In the book of Daniel, chapter 8, Daniel sees the same angel, Gabriel, and he's terrified. He's a scary guy, Gabriel. Not because he looks like someone from a horror movie, but because he looks like someone who's able to stand in the presence of God. If you met someone who could live in the sun, S-U-N, the big ball of fire in the sky, if you met someone who could live in the sun, he'd probably look pretty impressive. Gabriel stands in the presence of God. That's what we know about him. And he's come to deliver a message. This is not Emirates Post. This is Gabriel from the presence of God to Mary. When he brings you a message, when Gabriel brings you a message, it's an important one. And that's what he's come to do. He's telling Mary she's going to have a son. And that this son, Jesus, is going to be a holy king from the line of David. Now, the things that Gabriel says to Mary here are not new. He's actually repeating some really old promises, but he's saying that these old promises, these prophecies from the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled in the baby that she's going to carry. This is amazing. So we're going to examine this passage by looking first at three clues, three clues about who Jesus will be. Three clues about who Jesus will be from Gabriel's message. And then we're going to look at Mary's humble response of trust. That's our outline. Three clues of who Jesus will be and Mary's humble response of trust. So let's start with Gabriel's message. Three clues about who Jesus, this child, will be. Now I call this clues, three clues about who Jesus will be for this reason. Even though Gabriel is clear that Jesus is going to be a king, the kind of king that Jesus becomes is different than anyone expected. And it's not till you see from our perspective, hindsight, when you see how glorious Jesus is, you see how all these pieces fit together in him. But you don't see that beforehand. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a puzzle. If you've ever worked on a puzzle, you know what I'm talking about, a puzzle. It's what old people do. They entertain themselves with puzzles. And if you don't know what you're making, it's really hard to do a puzzle. If you don't have the picture that you're putting together, all you know is, I got an orange piece here. I got a red piece here. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm making. If you've got the box and it's got the picture of what you're building on it, it's a completely different experience. That's our perspective. We're seeing all these promises are going to coalesce into the glory of Jesus. Now, I said before that the promises that Gabriel gives here, they're not new. 
There are things that have been prophesied already in the Old Testament, but rarely were these prophecies understood to be talking about one single person. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three clues from Gabriel about Jesus. And for each of them, we will look at how Old Testament prophecy connects to them. So that's what we're doing. Three clues. Clue one, he'll be a king. Clue two, he will be from a virgin. Clue three, he will be holy. So we're going to go through those. We're going to go through them one at a time, but we're actually, the first two connect, and so we'll summarize after we finish the first two. You don't need to remember that. He'll be a king, he'll be from a virgin, and he'll be holy. Those are the three clues about who Jesus will be. So let's start with he will be a king. Look at verses 31 and 33. Gabriel tells Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel says, you're going to have a boy, you're going to name him Jesus. And this child, Jesus, will be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High, and he's going to reign on David's, King David's, throne. Now, this is straight out of the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, God is speaking to King David, who's the king of Israel, and this is what God says. He says, when your days, David, are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers when you die. I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So here in 2 Samuel, God is promising King David that he will have offspring And that his offspring's kingdom would be established forever. And God says, not only that, but your offspring will be a son to me. So your son, David, will be a son to me as well. Now, the way people interpreted this promise was that, okay, David will have sons. When he dies, one of them will become king. And he'll have sons. And one of them will become king. And he'll die and have sons, and one of them will have king, not, or one of them will come, not in that order. You've got you to have sons and then die. Have sons, die, one of your sons will be king. And that's how people thought David's throne would be established forever. It would keep going that way. And the expectation was God was going to treat these kings like they were his son. But God meant more than that, didn't he? So much more than that. Now, Gabriel showing up with the promise that Mary's child would be the son of the Most High and would sit on the throne of David would have been astonishing. Do you know why? There hadn't been a king on David's throne in almost 600 years. I mean, when you're dealing with things that happened 600 years ago, 
Things start to feel like fairy tales at that point. Oh, King David? Yeah, we know some stuff about him and his family. 600 years have gone by. I mean, tonight we're celebrating 50 years of the UAE. Praise the Lord. 12 times that is 600. That's a really long time for this promise to go unfulfilled. 600 years ago, I'm going to try to get this right, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents weren't alive 600 years ago. That's a really long time. But there was reason to hope. Even after 600 years, there was reason to hope that someone would take the throne of David again. Here's another prophecy. This is from Isaiah chapter 9. Now, in the book of Isaiah, the kings from David's line are still around. And Isaiah tells them, listen, guys, it's about to get really bad. It's going to get really bad. And this land is going to be destroyed. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah promises that good will come. Listen to what he says. You may know these verses. He says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government... And of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. So even though the throne had been empty for 600 years from a son of David, faithful Jews had hope. God promised someday a child was going to be born. Do you hear that? A child is born. To us a son is given. And this child would bring a rule and a peace that would never end. And he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What kind of person could this be? Who could this be? Does Isaiah tell us anything else about this child? He does. Two chapters earlier, in Isaiah 7.14, he says... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this child, that child, the one who will take the government on his shoulders and establish everlasting peace will come from a virgin. That's the second clue in our text as to who Jesus is going to be. He will come from a virgin. Three times in our passage, Mary's called a virgin. In case you missed it, twice in, chapter, in uh, verse 27, we're told she's a virgin. Again in verse 34, Gabriel's told her, you're going to have a son, Mary. He's going to be the king of David's line. And Mary's singing, okay, I'm a virgin, so how's this going to work? And, and Gabriel could have said to her, get married, 
Joseph's from David's line. You guys have a baby, and he will be the king. But instead, in verse 35, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will create a baby in her while she's still a virgin. This child is not just going to be another king in David's line. He's going to be the one that Isaiah promised would bring everlasting peace. That's what the second clue is telling us. He is the one. This child will be the one they will call wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now, before we get to our last hints of who Jesus will be, let's talk about what all this means so far. This baby, the baby that's going to be born on Christmas is going to be the ruler of the world. He is, right now, the ruler of the world. He is. This child grew up. He is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right now, he's the king. And here's, here's application for you. Is he your king? Is he? Do you listen to him and obey him? So not just can you say, Jesus is king. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my king. Not just can you say it, but was he the king of your afternoon? Is he the king of your thoughts? Is he the king of what you feel, the things you love? Is he the king of your time, your effort, your money, family, friends, entertainment? This is really important. It's really important. Not just that you know Jesus is a king. Every single demon believes that Jesus is the king. They would just rather that they be the king. And I am concerned I really am concerned that we would be in the same boat as demons. Yes, I, of course Jesus is a king, but we would rather be the king. When it comes to listening to him, we would rather listen to ourselves. The difference, you can all have the same king. The difference between a servant of the king and a traitor, a demon is not, do you know who the king is? But do you trust his rule enough to follow him? Now, many Jews thought that David's throne would last forever because David would keep having children, their children would have children, their children would have children. That would keep going. There would always be a throne, a king on David's throne. One of them dies, one of his sons takes the throne. One of them dies, another son takes the throne. But that's not how it works. This king, this child that Gabriel is promising in our passage, he beat death. He died, but he deserved to live, and so he did. 
The line of David will always have a king on the throne because this king cannot die. Death cannot touch him. And if he's your king, you won't die either. He won't let you. His life lasts forever. So his reign lasts forever. And so those who belong to him will last forever too in his peace. Do you want that? He's a king. What a king. Here's a third clue as to who Jesus will be. He will be holy. He will be holy. That's our third clue. Look at verse 35 again. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The fact fact that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit means that he's different than you and me. He really is a human. But he's a human without a heart that's dead in sin. Only Adam and Eve ever experienced that. Only Adam and Eve ever experienced what it's like to be a human and not to have a heart that's already turned away from God. Adam, Eve, Jesus. Adam and Eve sinned. They brought this whole world, like we heard read, into their death. And now every single one of their children is born dead to God, loving other things more than him. You're born that way, blind to the fact that he is what you were made to enjoy forever. You're born blind and dead. But Jesus was not born dead in sin. He's like a new Adam, except he conquers and he overcomes what they destroyed. He was holy from the beginning. It's important. When we say God is holy, we say that a lot in the songs that we sing, God is holy. We're saying that he's great He's worthy. He's supremely valuable. When we say a person is holy, we're saying that that person shows that God is great. He's worthy. He is to be valued above all things. Jesus was that way from the beginning. And he stayed that way all 33 years of his life on this earth. Always thinking, always feeling, always acting in a way that showed God is the greatest, the most worthy, and of supreme value. And we needed him to be holy. Let's talk about one more prophecy from the Old Testament. This is from Isaiah again. So in Isaiah, you have this promised child who's going to be the king, who's going to bring everlasting peace, from a virgin. We already read about him. But there's another character that you read about when you read the book of Isaiah, a prophecy about the servant of the Lord. He's kind of a mysterious character. This servant of the Lord will turn God's people's hearts towards him. 
He's God's servant. And Isaiah 53, 10 through 11, say this about the servant of the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Wait, the servant of the Lord? Yes, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When the servant's soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. So he's going to be crushed, but he's going to see his children and his days will be prolonged. Out of the anguish of the servant's soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. God's servant will be crushed. It's God's will to crush him for our guilt. And by the servant's righteousness, Isaiah 53 says, many will be accounted righteous. Not by their own righteousness, by his. It's by his righteousness that guilty sinners are accounted righteous. The way in which Jesus is conceived is really important. He cannot be conceived like every other human. He needs to be like us, but holy. We need someone to take our place, so he really needs to be one of us, but without our sinfulness. That's why it's so important that the Spirit of God knits the Son of God, who's always existed, by the way, to be a real human, but without our sinful hearts, Jesus is holy. This is crucial. He's not just a king. He's not just going to grow up, work out a lot, practice sword fighting, raise an army, kill his way to the throne of David. He is a king, but he will be at the same time a holy sacrifice whose mission is to draw attention to God and to be crushed. Isaiah 53 is telling us that His holiness, His righteous life is why guilty people like us can be accounted righteous. He's crushed. And this baffled the Jews. It baffles people still today. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're saying your righteous man, your prophet, your holy man, the king, was killed like a criminal? Yes. He was dying for you. You. Your guilt. And he was beating an enemy greater than any human army. He was defeating death and your sin and Satan's claim on your life. And then he took the throne. And he's going to finish what he started. Gabriel's giving hints as to who this child will be. 
The Old Testament spoke about it beforehand. But how it would happen, no one foresaw before the coming of this child, the holy king. I hope you see there's no one like him. What a king. Now we get a picture of what our response towards God should be in Mary. This last section is called Mary's Humble Response of Trust. Luke who wrote this, not Pastor Luke, Luke the gospel writer, he wrote this, and he wants you to trust God like Mary does. So I'm kind of cheating right now because I'm skipping ahead to next section, but if you've got it open in front of you, you can just look at verse 45, preach on it next week. Luke says, blessed is she, blessed, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So the way that Mary responds in our passage is blessed. And Luke wants us to see it. So let's look at Mary's humble response. Verses 36 and 38. Gabriel's still talking here. He says, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what God says to her, she trusts. She doesn't run away screaming. And she's got good reasons to run away screaming. I have to be pregnant? Before I'm married? Do you know what this will mean? Or, that's not possible, Gabriel. There's never been a baby born of the Holy Spirit. You're an angel. You don't know how babies are made. Many of us have been tricked into thinking that the best way of deciding what's true is based on what our eyes have seen or what the majority of other people tell us or of what we feel is true. Disney is especially good at that last one. But if you if you just give it a moment's thought, you'll quickly realize those are not the best ways to know the truth. Especially as it relates to God. If he's God, your eyes can't see him anyways. Now you can see his power and his glory in creation, and it's obvious if we're willing to admit it that this can't be an accident. But it is really arrogant It's the opposite of Mary's humility to say that if you haven't seen something, it can't be true. You haven't seen most things that are true, like oxygen. I mean, how do you know you're breathing oxygen right now? I don't know. Have you ever seen oxygen? I doubt it. You haven't seen creatures at the bottom of the ocean? There there are creatures there no one's ever seen before. There are planets and stars in the universe that no one has ever recognized. You have not seen 99.99999% of what is true. That's not a reliable guide to build your life on. How about what the majority of people think? This is really how we make a lot of our decisions. Well, what what do other people think? What would they think about me if I believe one thing or the other? But if the Bible's true and the majority of people don't want to know God, 
then they're not going to be a very reliable source for you to know God. How about your feelings? I mean, if, if you have any self-awareness, surely you realize your feelings are not reliable guides. Have you ever woken up in the morning just grumpy, angry with everybody who's around you? I have. Did those people suddenly become more annoying or wicked overnight? No. My feelings did. Don't build truth on what you feel. God wants you to know what's true. He really wants you to know what's true. That's why he gave you a book. You have no other source of information more sure, true, or blessed than what God says. And humility recognizes it and gladly submits to what he says. God told Mary an impossibility was going to happen. And Mary trusted that what God said would happen and that it would be okay. That's blessed. So no matter how your trust in what God says is particularly challenged, believing what he says is the most sure, true, and blessed way to engage with reality. Now, I just hope that you can put an anchor in that when you feel blown all over the place. Believing what God says, taking God at his word, is the most sure, true, and blessed way to engage, not with fiction, but with reality. And for us, that means Jesus is a king. He's as real as you or I. I mean, can you touch your hand right now or your arm? That's real? Jesus is as real as that. He's more real because he's keeping this together right now. It's real. He's a king and he bought peace for you on the cross and for this world. And he's going to bring it someday. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. It's true. And he's a holy sacrifice for unholy men and women. That's real. Believe it. Gladly submit to it like Mary. That's how this child Jesus, he's not a child anymore, that's how he... And all that he is becomes yours. So embrace him by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, would we trust you with our whole hearts? There is no one like you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered and you will finish what you started. You are mighty God. Your Prince of Peace, you're going to bring your peace, not just to our hearts, but to this whole world. And it's because you are a sacrifice crushed. Oh, help us to believe it's true. Help us now to believe it's true as we eat the Lord's Supper. It's in your name we pray. Amen.